You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us. Judicial Watch is the nation's number one government watchdog group. We battled corruption, and we've had a busy week in that regard, getting documents about FBI leaks that have largely gone unpunished, big lawsuit in California over its anti-Trump election law, a lawsuit against the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. You may have heard of him, Peter Buttigieg, who is hiding documents from Judicial Watch about his city's scheme to provide illegal aliens municipal ID cards. And the big news this week is that we got the Bruce Orr 302 documents. These are big documents in outlining the deep state conspiracy against President Trump. And I will begin with the Bruce Orr documents because they're the big news story of the week, if not the month, if not the year. Once again, Judicial Watch comes through with the documents. We filed a lawsuit last year for a series of FBI 302 reports. These are 302 reports are uh, narrative reports created by FBI agents that document witness and subject interviews. And believe it or not, one of the witness interviews they were documenting was the inter- Bruce Orr, who is a senior Justice Department official whose wife worked for Fusion GPS, the Clinton DNC spy operation that employed and hired Christopher Steele to create that phony dossier against President Trump. Glenn Simpson was the principal, I think, owner of Fusion GPS. and. Uh, They were all working for the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee uh, in a disguised way through uh, a law firm that the campaign and the committee uh, had hired uh, to create this dossier. Now, the problem with the dossier is it wasn't true. It alleged a Russia conspiracy that Trump was involved in that wasn't true. And even worse, the FBI and the Justice Department used this obviously untrue document to justify Uh, spying and all sorts of other misconduct against President Trump. So Christopher Steele, who is the principal author, allegedly, of the Steele dossier, was also an Obama FBI confidential informant. Judicial Watch received the documents showing that he met with FBI, his FBI handlers, at least 13 times during the 2016 presidential campaign. And he was paid 11 of those times. He finally was um, cut off and fired from the FBI's confidential informant program uh, immediately before the election because he was leaking Russiagate stories. So what did the FBI do? They were desperate to get Trump. So they used Bruce Orr, whose wife, again, worked for Fusion Fusion GPS and was conflicted uh, as many ways as you can think of to be the conduit for information from Christopher Steele, Glenn Simpson, Fusion GPS, and his wife. So uh, this this whole scheme is laid out and described in these 302 documents. We asked for them because we knew Congress knew they were out there and, and wasn't getting them. So we thought, well, we get them through the Freedom of Information Act. And sure enough, we asked for them. We were denied. We sued, I think, in August of last year, and we finally got them. The Department of Justice had been withholding them in full. And uh, I think cooler, uh, someone smart, probably the Attorney General himself, decided these are important documents to get out finally because they document 
as I suggest, the coup against President Trump. So what do the documents show? They show a variety of things, and I'll go through them with you. And this, this is what we get when we get these documents. This is, uh, this is the cover letter, and then some pages telling us, telling us why we're not getting documents. And then this is what the FBI 302 looks like. You can see uh, they don't black out redactions anymore, so they just white out. So these white, these white lines you see, those are redactions for various reasons. Law enforcement, uh, some, some of it is classified. Uh, the entire documents themselves were classified, and they were declassified thanks to your friendly neighborhood judicial watch. And uh, the documents show that the FBI, the Justice Department, and the State Department were colluding with Fusion, GPS, the spy ring that was working for Clinton and the DNC, Bruce Orr at the Justice Department, obviously he was involved, his wife Nellie Orr also tied the Fusion GPS. They were all working together to target Trump improperly. I mean, the idea that you have a Justice Department official be, be uh, acting as a witness and a go-between with this foreign spy a senior official Bruce Orr was. According to the document, he was the assist, uh, Associate Deputy Attorney General and Director of the P Department of Justice Organized Crime and Drug Enforcement Task Force. Again, Associate Deputy Attorney General. They don't engage in spy games, but when you're after Trump, all the rules are cast aside. And the documents show that the FBI and the Justice Department, under Trump, because they took place, some of this, uh, a lot of these communications took place during the beginning of the Trump administration, and certainly under Obama, knew that Christopher Steele, the author of the Fusion, G, uh, the Fusion GPS generated dossier, again on behalf of Hillary Clinton, was an anti-Trumper. And specifically the document says, Steele was desperate that Donald Trump not get elected and was passionate about him being the U.S. president. Desperate and passionate. The documents also describe a series of leaks that Fusion GPS had authorized about their Russia dossier hoax. They detailed communications that Steele and Fusion GPS and Glenn Simpson were having with the State Department. I'm going to go through all of this. They didn't tell the FISA courts most of this. They didn't tell the FISA court who was using this information, the Steele dossier generated information. They didn't tell the FISA court that Steele was desperate to stop President Trump and didn't want to see him be U.S. president. Most of these communications are taking place, all of them are taking place after the election. I think the FISA courts were told, well, there may be a political bias on the part of the folks creating this intelligence. And it wasn't really intelligence, it was just a rumor, probably based from FBI sources, that's another matter. So these detail not only the coup cabal scheme and how they were operating, but would be, I think, an exhibit in any criminal 
prosecution of those who were misleading the FBI, the, the FISA courts. So let me go through this with you. On November 22, 2016, Bruce Orr said that reporting on Trump's ties to Russia were going to the Clinton campaign, John Weiner at the U.S. State Department, and the FBI. Why is that important? John Weiner is a top official at the Kerry State Department. What's he doing involved in this? He was friends with Steele. We talked about this in previous updates. He admits he helped author part of the Steele dossier. So he's writing crap up, giving it to Steele, who's funneling it back to the Justice Department and the FBI. Or knew that Fusion GPS is Glenn Simpson and others we're talking to Victoria Newland at the State Department. Who's Victoria Newland? A senior, deputy, a, a senior official at the State Department. I think she was in charge of European affairs and Eurasia affairs for the State Department. So he, she wasn't some muckety-muck. In the chain of command, she would have been, I would say, one level beneath the Secretary of State. Reported directly to Kerry. Glenn Simpson directed a person who is, uh, they redacted, it's probably Steele, to speak to the press. And it looks like that press was left-leaning Mother Jones. We knew there were Mother Jones stories about the dossier. On December 5th, 2016, again, after the president's re uh, been elected, Orr promised to voluntarily give his wife Nellie Orr's Fusion GPS research to the FBI. He also provided the FBI, obviously from either his wife or Fusion GPS, a report on Paul Manafort titled Manafort Chronology. So that looks like it's Nellie's work product. So was, did, did you know that the Manafort prosecution was based in part on material generated by the Clinton campaign's operation? I didn't know that. On December 12, 2016, Simpson gave Orr a thumb drive with Fusion GPS research on it. Orr claims not to know what is on the drive. So he just handed over the thumb drive. During the meeting uh, he had with Simpson, based evidently on a meeting, uh, during the meeting, uh, oh, identified Michael, Simpson identified Michael Cohen, I'm misreading this, President Trump's former personal lawyers having, quote, many Russian clients. I don't think that's true. Simpson also said that uh, or Cohen may have attended a meeting in Prague, and that was one of the big lies out there that the left was desperate to prove. It turned out not to be true. Or described Simpson directing someone to talk to the Mother Jones reporter as it was a Simpson's Hail Mary attempt. So they were desperate to get this material into the media, and obviously they were desperate to get it into the FBI and Justice Department. December 20th, 2016, Orr provided the FBI with his wife Nellie Orr's Fusion GPS research, which contained the totality of her work. But the Fusion GPS header was stripped. Think about that. Orr is bringing his wife's work and giving it to the FBI, or a senior Justice Department official, and disguising it by stripping its origins and its connections to the Clinton camp. Or, by the way, is still working for the Justice Department. 
January 23rd, 2017. I don't know, when was Inauguration Day? Either, almost at the time the president became president. President Trump took the oath. Or tells the FBI that Steele told him that Steele, that Steele told him that Steele, quote, spoke with a staff member of Senator John McCain's office sometime prior to 2016. So they were leaking it to the anti-Trump Senator John McCain in October 2016. We didn't know about that. We knew that McCain's people were shopping the Steele dossier around. We didn't know they were talking to them as, as early as then. So that's new. February 2nd, 2017. President is president. President Trump is president at the time. On February 2nd, 2017, the president tells Orr to see if Steele would be, quote, comfortable getting the name of an FBI agent as a contact. Orr tells the agents that State Department official Kathleen Cavillac spoke with Steele several times prior to the U.S. presidential election and believes Steele's reporting to have been generated mainly from blank. They blacked it out. Another State Department connection. And the FBI, who had cut off Steele because he was a leaker, in, during the Trump administration, is trying to bring him back into the fold, despite knowing his bias. And by the way, his dossier wasn't checking out. That's why they were desperate to keep on talking to him, because they knew there was nothing, they, were, they, they weren't finding anything that was checking out. I don't know if you've read the dossier. I suggest you do. If you read it, you will quickly surmise that it's a joke and should never have been taken seriously. And sure enough, in January of 2017, Comey admitted, James Comey, the FBI director, admitted that it was salacious and unverified. And go and look at the Mueller report. Double check this because I'm, I'm going on memory here. But I remember looking up the Steele dossier in the Mueller report. Every time it's mentioned, Mueller mentions it as unverified. It was never verified. They knew it then, they knew it now. February 14, 2017, Orr tells the FBI that Steele communicated with him via FaceTime. And that Steele was, quote, beginning to worry about his business. Steele discussed brokering new business with the FBI and told Orr, you may, told Orr, you may see me reemerge in a couple of weeks. So Orr's FaceTiming Christopher Steele. <laughs> May 3rd, 2017, Steele called Orr to tell him that he'd, quote, been worried about Director Comey's upcoming testimony to Congress, especially his responses to questions that would be raised by Senator Grassley. Although what he was specifically worried about was redacted, Steele was, quote, happy with Director Comey's response. So Steele was afraid. It looks to me like he's going to be ratted out. May 2017, Orr was asked by the FBI to ask Steele if he would be willing to have a conversation with FBI agents in the UK. Steele responded he would, uh, but he would have to check. So uh, why is this important? This is just before Mueller is appointed. So they were not only had cut off Mueller, 
But several months later, just before Mueller's appointed, uh, uh, excuse me, Mueller's appointed, uh, they are um, desperate, desperate to get the seal, going so far as to send FBI agents to the UK. Now, why? Uh, Jim Jordan made a good point. Jim Jordan, a congressman from Ohio. And Jordan was on TV this week. Um, we were on Hannity together this week. And this is what I love about getting documents out there, guys, because I want you to look at these too. Because we're, we're analyzing this. We got this material. I'll tell you what it's like here at Judicial Watch. They promised us these documents on a Monday, this past Monday. They said they needed three more days, which meant up to three more days. And it, and we always know the government says when they say they need more time, they're going to take as much time as they say they need. They never give it to you early. So sure enough, they give them, us the documents at 5.30 on Thursday. So we are desperately, the media is waiting for this. The American people are waiting for this. So we are desperately trying to analyze uh, all of these documents here, which are complex. There's a lot of information in here. And, um, and get it out. So we can't necessarily catch everything that's important here. You know, we use, based on our collective knowledge here, my colleagues and I, look at the material and try to highlight what we think is important and put it all out there for the American people to look through themselves. So that's what's the wonderful part of this because you don't have to rely on my analysis here. You can look at these documents yourself. And Jim Jordan looks at these documents himself, for instance, a member of Congress. And he highlights the fact, why is it they're creating 302s? You don't create 302s just because you're interested in writing things. You're doing it because you're investigating someone. And as he pointed out, they weren't investigating Bruce Orr. They were investigating the President of the United States based on garbage material that was being presented to them by Bruce Orr and the Clinton gang at Fusion GPS. No doubt about it. The documents also show, I don't think I covered this, that Steele was communicating with Bruce Orr on the WhatsApp, which is a computer application that allows you, in theory, to, to communicate in a more secure way. It allows you to delete material and communications easily. Why in heaven's name is a senior Justice Department official playing spy games with this foreign spy. He's, quote, retired. If you believe that, I have a bridge in Brooklyn I can tell you. You never really retire, in my view, from the intelligence community. And you have Bruce Orr engaged in this secretive communication scheme with a foreign spy to target the President of the United States? What was happening at the Justice Department and the FBI that this was allowed to occur? Sessions had wrongly recused himself. Rod Rosenstein was running the show. He must have known this was going on. Comey knew this was going on. Of course, he was lying to the President and telling him he wasn't being investigated when obviously he was, these documents show. Incredible material, and I have to say, I, I want to thank you who are supporting of Judicial Watch, who support Judicial Watch. I want to thank you for your support of our work that allows us to get this important material out there. Congress was unable to get this. The only reason we're seeing this 
is because that we went to we asked for them and went to federal court and pushed. It isn't like we filed a lawsuit and just, well, just wait for things to happen. We have to litigate the case and push the Justice Department and the FBI to give us the material. And the reason we're able to do that is because of the support you give us. And I want to give credit to our team, our investigative team, our legal team, our media team, all our support staff that help us do this, this work. As I said last week, this work is Herculean in terms of fighting these government agencies about, in this case, the biggest corruption scandal in American history. Remember, all of this, all of this, all of this scheming against uh, Trump occurred after he was elected. That's why I talk about the coup cabal. That's why I use the word sedition. This wasn't a campaign operation. Bad enough, the corruption involved there, the spying on the Trump campaign. So these documents are key, and there's more coming. We have other documents we'll be releasing next week that will, can, will shock you along these lines as well. And of course, the, just, the Justice Department and Attorney General Barr is considering declassifying other material, including the rest of the FISA warrant application that is also scandalous. So they didn't tell the FISA courts the details that we're describing here that I think would have made it more difficult for them to get an approval. So you've got potential crimes there. You have Bruce Orr acting as a conduit for his wife. How, how is that not a conflict of interest? In a, frankly, in a potential criminal way. The FBI breaking all of its rules to spy on President Trump through this Fusion GPS crowd, outsourcing their intelligence gathering to the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee firm. I mean, we already have all these other documents showing that Steele and Bruce Orr were meeting repeatedly, and we've had some of the notes that Orr has made with his meetings with Christopher Steele. We know Christopher Steele was, as we say, working at the State Department. We've got details of that. And of course, the State Department was working with the Justice Department and Democrats on the Hill. We've got the documents. So I hope the Attorney General and his team in Connecticut, the U.S. Attorney Durham, is looking at this material. I'm sure they are. I don't know if there are going to be prosecutions, guys. I don't know. I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic there may be a significant prosecution or two. Cautiously optimistic. But on the other hand, you know, Washington is the way Washington is. But there will not be prosecutions if we don't know about things like this. And the fact that we have this material out there makes it more likely people would be prosecuted because the Justice Department will never do the right thing if this corruption is kept secret. So the transparency is necessary. It may not be sufficient to get prosecutions, but it is necessary, in my view, to get the prosecutions that you, I know many of you so desire.
Now, of course, we have to presume the prosecutions are based on law, and I don't want anyone railroaded just because we're upset about the way the Justice Department and FBI were managed. There were crimes, there were crimes. But if there weren't, I don't want anyone prosecuted. But I don't want it covered up, and then I, want, then I don't want to be told after it all being covered up, trust us, we looked at everything and there's nothing to worry about. That's not the way we should operate. Let all the information come out so that we can also judge whether there was an appropriate, there's appropriate decision-making to either prosecute or not prosecute. What a scandal this is, isn't it? What a scandal. Where's the media on this? Fox News is covering it. Where's the rest of the media? FBI, ethics mess. We talked about the ethics mess with Spygate. We just get documents from, uh, this was, we, uh, to the FBI's credit, they gave, it these docu gave us these documents without our having to sue about them. Sue for them. It's a miracle. Received records of 14 referrals of FBI employees for leaking sensitive or classified information. Four of them were fired. No one was prosecuted. So you have the FBI leaking officials, senior, a lot of senior, obviously, um, some of them were senior. I'll tell you about that. Only four were fired. None were prosecuted. And they were leaking classified, sensitive, or grand jury material. And it's hard to know exactly what the material was because the FBI won't tell us. You can see all this white here. These are the documents we received from OPR. They don't give you much detail. They give it, they give us detail on one of those people who is Andrew McCabe, who was number two under James Comey. And Comey, as you may recall, I mean, McCabe was fired for, based on uh, an IG report that concluded that he uh, lied about a leak he engaged in. Uh, the Office of Professional Responsibility in the document here obviously refers to McCabe, even though they redact his name. And let me read it to you here. SES employee released FBI sensitive information to a reporter and lacked candor, not under oath, and under oath when questioned about it in violation of offense codes 4.10, unauthorized disclosure sensitive information, 2.5, lack of candor, no oath, and 2.6, lack of candor, under oath. So I'm glad to hear the ethics rules of the FBI require you to lie, to tell the truth even when you're not under oath. The proposed decision in this matter was made by the AD, OPR, uh, I guess the Assistant Director. The final decision was made by Attorney General Jeff Sessions. DOJ retains final decision-making authority for certain high-ranking FBI officials. Mitigation, There's, they have mitigation and aggravation. Mitigation, employee has XX years of, they deleted the number of years or redacted, of FBI service and a remarkable performance record, employee was facing unprecedented challenges and pressures. Yeah, kind of like figuring out whether to engage in a 
coup against President Trump. Remember, he was involved in those discussions, whether to wear a wire and invoke the 25th Amendment outrageously to try to remove him from office. Aggravation. Employee held an extremely high position and was expected to comport himself with the utmost integrity. Lack of candor is incompatible with the FBI's core values. Final actions. OPR proposed decision, dismissal, final decision, dismissal. So there's another descri described um, allegation the OPR received. They didn't tell us any detail. That person was dismissed. Someone else did some leaking. They didn't give us any detail. The final decision was um, suggested. It looks like the final decision, the final suggestion was five calendar days suspension without pay. Final decision closed. Another one. Employee has over XX. Um, he misused the FBI database and provided sensitive information to an FBI employee. They proposed a 15-calendar-day suspension without pay. Final decision, letter of censure. Detecting a pattern here? Another leaker. Proposed dismissal, final decision, dismissal. So that one was held up. Proposed decision, dismissal, final decision, 45-calendar-day suspension without pay. Final decision, there's another one here. Looks like there was a 14-day suspension without pay. 14-calendar-day suspension without pay. That was affirmed. Another one was two others were letters of censure. And then one was a proposed 30-day calendar suspension without pay. 10-day calendar-day suspension without pay was the final decision. So it was, as opposed to 30 days, it was 10 days. And the final one that we've gotten... And this is, by the way, over the course of three years. So 14 serious issues like this over the course of four, three years. Proposal, dismissal, OPR decision, 60 calendar day suspensions without pay. No one has been prosecuted. Now, McCabe has been referred to for prosecution, and I think that's at least a year ago. Uh, nothing has been done with that proposal. Now, you may recall last week we highlighted how the FBI, thanks to Judicial Watch FOIA litigation, went over to uh, Andrew, uh, excuse me, Jim Comey's house after he was fired by the FBI, a month later, after he was fired by President Trump, a month after he was fired, and they found Trump FBI records in his home. And it, the reporting is the, the um, Office of Inspector General recommended uh, that he... Um, be prosecuted because he took those records improperly. He lacked candor, that word candor, in describing their handling and misuse and leaking. And of course, he leaked them, including the classified information. And reportedly, they've decided to decline the prosecution. Now, I don't know if that's the final word or not. Someone important told me, well, you know, don't necessarily take it as the final word because that's just reporting as to what their decision is. There's been no official word one way or another. So, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed that something appropriate is done. But if this doesn't show why there's a leak problem at the FBI, I don't know what does. And just think about people who go to jail for a whole lot less. 
because they're not, they're cagey here whether classified information was leaked. They're cagey here whether grand jury information was leaked. Collectively, these documents show extremely lenient treatment for FBI officials caught up in criminal activity or what looks like to be criminal activity. And as I said, we're still waiting for at least one prosecution that we know has been officially referred. Supposedly DOJ took it up. Nothing's been done yet. So again, Judicial Watch, standing in the gap, providing oversight over the FBI on their failure to hold their own account, their own accountable largely, for what I believe to be criminal activity. And I tell you, if the OPR, you may think, oh my gosh, the OPR, they're enemies of the regular agents, they're, they're hyper-aggressive. Oh, no, 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 no. They're very cautious and they're protective of the agency. So if they're finding misconduct, it's probably even worse than their uh, descriptions that I'm hiding, highlighting here. So Judicial Watch is, again, in the lead uncovering this terrible corruption at the FBI. And is it any surprise that a culture of leaking where that is the Comey way at the top? Misconduct by McCabe and Comey would result in the FBI spying on the President of the United States and abusing its authority in that regard. Uh, and also conducting a sham investigation to protect a favorite politician like Hillary Clinton? Of course. So I want to go outside of Washington to the corruption in the rest of the country. And so there's a big fight in California that Judicial Watch has taken up uh, because the anti-Trump politicians in California, in the desperation to uh, get President Trump have passed a law that not only targets President Trump, obviously, but steamrolls over the constitutional rights of California citizens. And we represent California voters who are Republican, Democrat. We have, a, I think, two Republicans, one Democrat, and one independent voter who are objecting to a law that California signed, uh, passed into, uh, that California is implementing now, that requires anyone who wants to appear on a party primary ballot to publicly disclose their tax returns. And if they don't, they can't get their name on the ballot. And who's that targeted at? President Trump. Now, we allege in the lawsuit that we filed, I think it was last Friday, that uh, the SB 27, which is the title of the law, imposes candidate qualifications beyond those allowed by the US Constitution and impermissibly burdens a voter's expressive constitutional and statutory rights. So it violates the U.S. Constitution's Qualification Clause and the First Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment of our, uh, their right, the, those rights protected in the First and Fourteenth Amendment as it relates to our voters, our, voting cl our voter clients. Now, President Trump, since we have filed this lawsuit, has come in and filed his own lawsuit on his behalf personally, on his behalf of his candidacy. So he has a different set of allegations he's making. Obviously, he's got different standing or different issues that he has because of the direct targeting of him. But what, what a, what, it just shows you why it's important 
to uphold the rule of law in the face of this political attack on President Trump. Because the left and this anti-Trump fanaticism, they don't care what the law is. They don't care what the Constitution is. They're going to do whatever they can do to get Trump. And the leftist-controlled media would have you believe, don't worry, Trump is a bad guy, it's about him and not about you. But it is about you, and it's about the U.S. Constitution, and it's about other candidates whose privacy rights will be attacked unconstitutionally. The Qualifications Clause of the U.S. Constitution limits the required qualification to three issues. To be a naturalized citizen, you've got to be a resident in the United States for 14 years, and I think you've got to be 35 years old. California can't amend the Constitution through this law and just change it willy-nilly. I mean, it's rather obvious, don't you think? And if you're a voter in California and you want to be able to vote for a candidate that otherwise might be able to run but can't because of this unconstitutional requirement that they publicize their tax returns? That's where your First Amendment and Fourteenth Amendment rights get attacked and harmed. In fact, Governor Brown, I want to quote this. Governor Brown, prior governor, the governor prior to the current governor, Newsom, vetoed the first iteration of this law. The California Legislative Council concluded it would be unconstitutional if enacted. And Brown noted, first, it may not be constitution, constitutional. Second, it sets a slippery slope precedent. Today we require tax returns, but what would be next? Five years of health records? A certified birth certificate? High school report cards? And will these requirements vary depending on which political power parties in power? A qualified a candidate's ability to appear on the ballot is fundamental to our democratic system. For that reason, I hesitate to start down a road that might well lead to an ever-escalating set of differing state requirements for presidential candidates. I agree with Democrat Governor Attorney uh, Jerry Brown on this unconstitutional law. And Brown's comments here show you our concerns in nonpartisan. Because obviously this is targeting Trump, but it's not about Trump in the sense that it can have an impact nationally. You could have other states require Elizabeth Warren to submit the genetic testing. Another candidate, uh, the candidates to require uh, other candidates uh, submit their medical records, high school records, Facebook friends, who knows? This is an obvious attack on our constitutional system. And it's all about getting Trump. And they'll tear the, up the Constitution to get it. And I'm sorry, guys, this is part of a piece. You see the Kukabal trying to spy on Trump and breaking the rules. And you see the California trying to tear up the Constitution to keep Trump off the ballot or otherwise get his, or, or if he's going to get on the ballot, get tax return data from him that he's, not, he's, he's protected from having to make public. There's no requirement any candidate provide their tax returns to run for president. To say that highlights 
It's absurdity. Provide your tax returns to run for president? You know, it would, it would be a joke if it weren't, what, California, was, I think, is the biggest state in the union still. Maybe Texas is. Well, you know what I mean. And taxpayers in California are going to be burdened by the costs of protecting this unconstitutional law because the left isn't backing down. Governor Newsom said something outrageous in response to these lawsuits. Commentators on both the left and the right who are uh, experts in the law, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to predict that we're going to win because I can never predict what the courts are going to do, but there's a strong chance this is going to be knocked out. And it's got to be knocked out by November. It's got to be knocked out by November because that's when the requirement would have to be fulfilled in order for President Trump or any other candidate to appear on the ballots. So we'll be in court over the next few months with the president and others who are suing to protect the Constitution and the rule of law from this assault on the anti-Trump politicians who are, uh, don't care about the Constitution or the rights of voters in their own state. So we're proud to be able to do that work, again, with your support. So we have another interesting lawsuit. So we noticed a story that Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is the, he's running for president in the Democratic primary. He's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And I think NBC News had a story highlighting how wonderful it was. He worked with this outside group, this activist group, to create municipal ID cards for illegal aliens. So this is a sanctuary policy that Mayor Buttigieg came up with with this outside left-wing group uh, to provide ID cards for illegal aliens. So we do what Judicial Watch does. We ask for documents about this whole um, program. What was the mayor's office doing? And just basic information requests about communications back and forth about uh, this ID card scheme. Because what happened is the mayor... Uh, well, I'll give you the report. The South Bend Tribune reported a nonprofit Latino advocacy group unveiled a new identification card it hopes will make life easier for undocumented immigrants who live in South Bend. La Casa de Amistad are the creators of SBID. Mayor Buttigieg reportedly worked closely with, Casa, with La Casa uh, and the nonprofit's executive director to create a community resident card. Buttigieg's part to make it all work was to sign an executive order requiring, requiring local services and institutions like law enforcement schools, the water utility, and the libraries to accept the card as a valid form of identification. So what they're doing is they created this card to make it easier for illegal aliens to reside illegally, contrary to law, here in the United States, and specifically in South Bend. So we've been doing this for a long time, these open records requests. And what was going on here, we asked for the basic information, and we immediately started getting the runaround. They said, well, you know, narrow your request. We tried to narrow the request, and they just were just giving us the run ground and playing a shell game with us. And we saw through that, and so we sued. Under the Indiana, um, it's not called FOIA, it's the Access to Public Records Act. Because, uh, and in response, Buttigieg's campaign attacks us uh, 
on a non-related issue. I forget even what the attack was. <laughs> they call it a stunt. So it's a stunt when we seek to enforce the law against the mayor on documents. And the stunt is, really, it looks like the mayor's administration was working with this outside group to create this document program because they were worried that if they did it with government work, uh, with, uh, in a gov if they did it via the government, uh, too much information about the aliens might become public. Now, we're not asking for the names of the illegal aliens, but we want to know about this scheme to avoid the open disclosure law, the open records laws, to create this sanctuary policy for illegal aliens. And in response to our lawsuit, the activists in South Bend are essentially confirming it. This is why we didn't want us, this is why we did it the way we did it, because we didn't want this information to come out. Proving our point. So I think this is a real interesting case because A, it's an important issue because of the illegal alien crisis and the support that certain government officials want to provide to help illegal aliens reside here in violation of the law, undermining any ability to control the border, undermining the public safety, undermining the rule of law. And in this case, Mayor Buttigieg and his administration are willing to break, it looks to us, as we allege in the lawsuit, the open records law in order to do it. So we're going to see what's going to happen here, whether the court's going to buy into this or not. But we hope that this cover-up ends by Mayor Buttigieg's administration. We've faced nothing but games, and we hope it ends. I mean, this is the sort of silliness that frustrates me because typically we wouldn't have to sue for documents like this, but we've had to get a lawyer in South Bend. We've got our own legal staff working on this to get this basic information. If the mayor is so proud of it, release, his release details of his involvement in setting it up, which they refuse to do. I mean, if you think the swamp is only in Washington, D.C., uh-uh. It's in South Bend, Indiana as well. This lawsuit shows that. So with that, I want you to have a wonderful weekend. I thank you for your support. I encourage you to go and look at all of the information I've talked about at our Internet site at judicialwatch.org. We have a new, a flashier Internet site that is better and more accessible to you so you can find documents more easily, share them. And of course, we're on YouTube and Twitter and uh, Facebook. They haven't, they haven't suppressed us yet there. So I encourage you to take advantage of all those opportunities to learn more about our work. And of course, you know, you can just send us uh, requests for information in the mail. We'll respond to them. And you can get on our mailing list and get our great newsletter and other things. Uh, that educate you about the way your government operates and what it's up to, and of course gives you plenty of opportunity to support our great work. So I hope you support our work, educate yourself about the things we're uncovering, and share it all with your, your friends and family and colleagues. 
Have a wonderful weekend, and I'll see you next time here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.